Welcome, I'm your host Josh. And I'm your host Seth. Our goal is to bring awareness and insight to sustainable whitewater principles and practices through stories and experiences shared by you. On our first episode today, Seth and I are going to introduce ourselves as well as our passion and a little history of ourselves. Yeah, and we're also going to go over a quick incident, uh, some learnings that came from it, uh, and just kind of talk about what went wrong and what happened. Um, So brace yourself for an exciting episode today. So Josh, give me a little bit about how you got into paddling. Yes, yeah, so, so I whitewater kayaking was something I'd always watched videos of and, and seen pictures of, and um, one day uh, I just worked up the courage to to go on to Craigslist. I, I found an old boat. I didn't know anything about. Um, I I drove about an hour away, uh, bought this boat, bought this. 30-year-old skirt, 30-year-old, 90-degree offset paddle. And uh, from there, I just started going to my uh, local Class 2 river, um, started going down with my parents uh, while we went on tubing, uh, family tubing trips. Very nice. Um, and Josh, kind of give me a little rundown on your other outdoor activities, anything else you do besides paddling. Yes, yeah, so Seth, uh, prior to kayaking, uh, I've always loved rock climbing a lot, um, as well as skiing. Uh, skiing is a, is a hobby that I love to do, um, and climbing is also a thing that I love to do a lot. Uh, growing up in the southeast, uh, we never really had uh, great skiing weather, so uh, wintertime was, was, uh, was often spent at the crag. And, uh, but now, thankfully, uh, wintertime is spent on local creeks, around uh, and in and around the southeast awesome and uh just very briefly give me a rundown on kind of where you are in life right now yes yeah, so i'm going into my junior year in college um i am i just recently transferred to liberty university uh my first year out of high school i did a gap year school uh, i got to do uh, a number of different outdoor ventures um skiing mountain biking um, as well as skiing in Colorado. So really awesome experience. Um, so Seth, uh, what about you? What about your college experience? Uh, yeah, I've fortunately been able to spend the last three and a half years at North Greenville University as an outdoor education major. I've loved it. It fits with me and what I'm all about. Um, it's given me a lot of opportunity to kind of expand my outdoor interests and things like that as well. So Seth, did you start paddling at North Greenville or before that? Uh, yeah, I actually took a whitewater kayaking course here at North Greenville. It was super fun. Uh, really got a lot of experience. Uh, kind of gave me a really good foundation for my kayaking and was able to get on some really chill local rivers in the southeast. But yeah, tons of fun. That's awesome, Seth. Uh, so now uh, we will kind of go into my recent incident on the Rocky Broad. So, Josh, uh, give us a little rundown on how the day started, uh, the day of the incident. Uh, so, Seth, I'm actually, in the summer, I'm actually a, um inflatable kayak guide uh, at Green River Adventures um, on the Upper Green and Lower Green River. Um, this, this weekend, in particular, we had a ton of rain. 
Uh, so he woke up early Friday morning uh, to, a, to a text message from my boss saying that work was canceled. Uh, so immediately got on got onto the Facebook look at, looking for rivers that are in, uh, looking for groups that were going out. And, and we found a crew that was going to the Rocky Broad, which is in uh, Bat Cave, uh, North Carolina. From there, uh, I rallied with one of our, my good friends, Jehu, um, and, and one of uh, the guys I met on Facebook. Uh, we met in Bat Cave, and uh, we went ahead and set shuttle, uh, went to the put-in, and, and started our day. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, or maybe you're not from the southeast, uh, the Rocky Broad is a class four uh, section of river, um, very continuous nature, um, as well as a qu- quite a dangerous river, quite sieved out, uh, a lot of undercuts. And you were on the lower bro- Rocky Broad, correct? Yep, we were on the lower Rocky Broad today, and this was uh, my for my PFD, uh, my personal first personal descent, as well as my friend Jay Hughes' first personal descent. Awesome. Um, so if you can kind of give us a quick rundown of the rapids, how you were feeling, and then what kind of led up to these so-called incident that we keep speaking of. Yes, uh, so a lot of rivers in the southeast um, generally have very well-known, um, distinguished rapids that have some very specific beta uh, for them, uh, very specific names for them. Uh, but due, and due to the Rocky Broad's nature and how continuous it is, um, it doesn't have these very specific um, individualized rapids, um, but it's actually just a, many, many rapids. Um, so there wasn't, uh, we, it was after uh, a, a bigger rapid named Redneck, uh, and it was after the, um, b- before another well-known rapid uh, named Alice in, the, in Wonderland. Uh, so we were, I was second, uh, so our guy in front he was showing us down giving us some beta i was in the middle jay he was in the back and um the only beta i received on this rapid uh, was was boof left go left so i was going down so going over this particular rapid uh, i took i took a a, a righty boof stroke uh which which put me right into uh, the bottom of this hole sideways uh rolled immediately over um I was underwater, Seth. Um, felt myself come out of the hole, and and Seth, I tried to roll, and I I, I missed my first one, missed my second one, uh, went over the next rapid, upside down. Um, and for those of you who don't know, the Rocky Broad is also a pretty shallow river. Um, so while I was underwater, I was getting hit in the back and the head and shoulder. Uh, after I went through the next rapid upside down, I attempted to roll up one more time, um, missed my third roll. And I uh, decided I had enough. And, and from that point, Seth, I, I pulled my skirt um, and, and came out of my boat and was frantically started swimming to the shore. <laughs> um, before you continue there, for those of you, again, that don't know about the Rocky Broad and this particular rapid, this uh, rapid, I went up and looked at it uh, the day after Josh's swim. And this rapid that he's talking about is a really, really high-angle pour-over hole. <laughs> and so it's really steep, really fluffy, a lot of white water. And then it's pretty much just scraping down rocky shoals uh, to the next big pool right before a massive sieve. Uh, so pretty scary area to swim. But uh, carry on, Josh. Yes. Uh, so I, as I came out of my boat, my, my first instinct, um, due to the fact that I knew how dangerous in nature the Rocky Broad was, was immediately get to the shore. 
Uh, so I, I, I dropped my paddle, uh, forgot about my boat, and, and, and tried to swim to the shore immediately. Um, so I, I, I found my way to the shore. Um, the person in front of me, he, he, he didn't even realize I, I had rolled over, Seth. Um, thankfully, the person behind me, Jehu, uh, he immediately got onto his whistle, uh, which brought attention to the guy up front. Uh, so Seth, I, um, as I got to the, the shore, uh, river right shore, uh, about 100 yards ahead, uh, the, river, the river condensed down to about four feet wide. Um, to this very, very skinny notch uh, with, with big boulders on both, both sides of this notch. And just upstream of this, this very skinny notch was a, about a 20-foot tree that was down um, to, the, to the right of, the, of this really big rock. And, and, and that rock actually formed a, a very dangerous sieve um, on the right. There's a lot of wood in there, um, in which... In short, is, uh, is where my boat ended up. Yeah, and uh, for those of you that don't know what a sieve is, think of basically a spaghetti strainer of rocks and or wood. And in this particular case, there was a ton of wood. So a lot of water's going through, but nothing bigger than maybe a baseball is going to go through, uh, nothing solid. And this is exactly where Josh's boat ended up, on top of the tree, nose down in the sieve. Yes, uh, so a little, little more explanation about that. Uh, the, the first day, so this was, this was on a Friday, uh, so my, my entire boat was, was, was pinned up against this, the big boulder on the right-hand side, um, cockpit facing upstream, and, and none of the boat was exposed. None of the boat was out of the water. Uh, it was completely underwater, uh, completely um, submerged and, and pressed up against this, this rock. Yeah, and not uh, paddling that day. I got a text later, and it was just a short video of where Josh's boat was pinned, and all you could see was just a little bit of red through the white water pouring over his boat. And um, if you didn't hear him correctly, that was cockpit up, so his boat is being filled with all the water coming down from the river, so not a great place to get your boat stuck. Yes, uh, so after that, uh, I was on River Right. Uh, the, the road runs alongside the Rocky Broad, uh, but it runs along the left side of the river. Uh, so my friend Jehu uh, and, and then the kayaker who was showing us down, they were on River Left, uh, which, is where you, which is where you get to the road. Uh, so th- then we, you know, I, I was currently safe. My, my boat was, was penned. Um, so the, the next thing we had to do was, was I had to get to safety. I had to get back to the road so I can get back to my car. Um, so even something like that you'd think would be very simple, but being, you know, 50 feet, 60 feet from the other side of the river, uh, it creates kind of an issue. And right above the sieve. And right above the sieve. Um, so Seth, while we were, uh, we each had throw bags. Um, Seth, we all had throw bags that were only 45 to, to 50 feet long. Mm. Uh, so we... we my friend Jay Hugh, he got his throw bag out. He attempted to throw uh, a, a number of different times, and this throw bag continued to just come up just a little bit short. All I needed was another 10 or maybe 15 feet to get the rope to me. Um, so I had to somewhat kind of rock scramble to get all the way to the shore and then, and then walk myself upstream to a place that was a little bit uh, skinnier than, than where we were. And thankfully, my, my friend Jay was finally able to get a rope to me. And then I, I had to kind of make the commitment that I was just going to jump 
into the water, above the sieve, above the log, above my boat, and hopefully my friends <laughs> would pull me in. So um, I did it. I, I took the leap of faith. Um, so for those of you who don't know, um, swimming in white water um, or, or being towed with a rope in white water, uh, you, you always want to um, hold on to the rope and you always want to put it the rope to your chest and and you want to have that you want to be pulled on your back in the water uh, is that right Seth do you have anything to add no to that's that? correct um, yeah you definitely want to be um, back upstream because if you are flipped over the rope will inevitably pull your face under the water so if you kind of flip over on your back you're kind of like a ski and it's a whole lot easier also for the person pulling on the rope to kind of uh, kind of pendulum you over into an eddy hopefully on the side of the river that they're throwing the rope from. Yes, yeah, so that's exactly what my crew did that day. They, they pendulumed me right into an eddy on river left. Uh, so there was, Jay, he was on the rope. Uh, my other friend was pulling, pulling, pulling. And then he, my other friend, immediately left Jay, and ran down to me to make sure I was okay. Um, so that, you know, it, it created a lot of trust, a lot, a lot of trust in the rope, a lot of trust in my friends at that point. Um, so once I was back to safety on the, on the left side, we were, we were all together. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, earlier, beginning of that day, I put my car keys, I put my wallet, as well as my phone, all into my Okoe dry bag, which were in my pinned boat, Seth. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, that's just the most unfortunate. <laughs> Um, and your boat was at the put-in, correct? Or was your boat at the takeout? So my or, sorry, my car, your car. Yeah, <laughs> so my, my car was at the put-in, um, and th- the keys to my car were stuck in my boat. <laughs> so, Seth, I, I made my way to the road and, and had to, unfortunately, hitchhike back to my car uh, about a mile with, and, and from there, I had to find a ride home. I, uh, so I made a couple of different calls because at, at this point, Seth, we realized that there was no, no possible chance we would have any way of getting my boat out this day. Um, so we, we made the decision. We were going we to come back the next day um, at a lower level. But unfortunately, uh, I didn't have a spare key. And all of my school, uh, all of my, my books, my computer, um, and just about, you know, all the things I would need were in my in my car at the time. So uh, the other two guys that were paddling that day, uh, they, they finished the run and then uh, ended up taking me home that night. Um, so Seth, actually you and I and J.U., we went up, the, we went back up the next day uh, to, to try to recover my boat for the second time. Uh, so Seth, uh, what, how was, how was that experience? <laughs> So we were, we were all hoping that the water had dropped down a good bit. Um, it does take a lot of water for the Rocky Bar to run. It takes a lot of rain, but it also washes out a lot quick, uh, a lot quicker than most rivers. It empties out pretty quick. Um, so we were just hoping that the next morning it would be a whole lot lower. Uh, so we make the drive. It's not a terribly far drive, maybe 45 minutes. And we were also hoping, by the way, that anyone had found Josh's paddle because they were unfortunately not able to grab it. And so it was some somewhere downstream. So we were just keeping an eye out for that as well. Um, but yeah, we got up to the river. Um, you know, 
walking up to the rapid, you could definitely tell the uh, water was a lot lower. The boat was at least a little bit out of the water. Uh, you could see the stern or the back of the boat sticking out a little bit, but unfortunately, um, it had kind of slipped in to the sieve. So as opposed to being pressed up flat against the rock, it had slid down nose or bow into the sieve. It was really, really stuck. Um, so we had come with a couple different plans. Um, our initial plan was just to try to cross the river, uh, get a line on the boat, and see if we could just pull it out. Um, you know, maybe naively thought we could pull it out, but just to kind of give an, get an idea of what it was going to be like. So I had brought my boat. I put in a good bit higher than the sieve, uh, ferried across, got a climbing stick clip, actually, and put a quick draw, tied it to a throw rope, clipped it to the uh, stern grab loop of the boat and threw it across so we got a line onto that boat pretty early on and very quickly realized it was very 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 stuck um, I would say probably the front 40% was completely into the sieve and there was only a little bit sticking up from the log um, so I got the line over and our goal was to first just kind of set up a two-to-one pulley system so but Seth so why do we have to use a stick clip that day why, why couldn't ah, we just clip clip the boat that's a good question uh so where we were able to paddle across to and walk out on some rocks was basically right at the meeting point of these two rocks where the sieve was created and so it was basically two massive boulders that created a hole in the center and the water was just swirling down into them and that was exactly where the boat was so you couldn't get down onto the boat or anywhere it just was not even remotely safe to reach down and clip so we had about I don't know it's probably a 15 15 foot stick clip I would guess so it gives us a pretty good reach to reach out and clip that boat with a carabiner um, so yeah we started to make our two to one we set up a real nice anchor um, you know I kind of come from a climbing background and so was able to use some of that crossover to make a good anchor and we started making this two-to-one system with some pulleys and fortunately we all had enough gear to make a real nice system uh, very quickly realized that a two-to-one was not going to be enough um, to pull out the boat even with three of us pulling it was just a really heavy boat uh, full of water stuck way down in there uh, and then we very quickly set up a three-to-one um, to try to get that boat out. Um, used progress capturing prussics, trying to really get the maximum amount of strength we could. And for those of you who don't know what that means, it's basically a three-to-one pulley system. So one of our pounds is going to be translated to three pounds being pulled onto that boat. And we have a progress capturing prussic, which means every bit that we pull is going to be captured. We don't have to really reset. So, Seth, a lot of people, you know, throw around the term pen kit. You know, mm. this is my pen kit um, to get a, a boat unstuck uh, or unpinned. So, Seth, what is what is in your pen kit? You know, what are, what are some things that we use that day that a, a whitewater kayaker um, should, should generally and should consistently carry on, them, on their person? That's a really great question. So, very quickly, I do kind of want to address uh, one of the main reasons we're kind of getting into this podcast is sort of the inconsistency of safety knowledge on rivers. You know, so Josh and I were talking when we were coming up with this idea, and there's not a lot of consistency when it comes to 
beginners learning safety practices on the river. And so fortunately, I was able to go through a course to learn that kind of thing and what goes into a pin kit, you know, what goes into river signals. You would not believe how many people don't know the simplest of river signals. And, you know, Josh coming from just his own understanding and watching videos and stuff may not have had as, uh, you know, advanced of an understanding of river safety. So, so Seth, yeah, I, I feel like the um, among the whitewater community, there's, you know, swift water rescue classes offered that, that teach you, you know, big picture, how to, how to a rescue person um, and things like that. But, but not all the time, you know, unless you're, you're paddling with, with people who have been in the community for a long time, do you realize these very small, you know, very helpful tips, very practical tips um, and, and sustainable practices that, you know, anyone can, can apply to their time on the river, whether you're a beginner um, or even a, an advanced paddler. Yeah. So to get back to your question real quick, um, in a pin kit, it's kind of su- subjective, obviously, around the whitewater community, especially where you are in the country or what river you're going to be on. But a really good basics, at least for a pin kit, is going to be some anchor building materials. You know, whether you're using cordage, webbing, or just uh, you know spare climbing rope, static or dynamic, whatever you enjoy using. You know, I like to have um, some cordage that I can make a quad anchor is what that's called that I like to make. Um, or just having some, I normally have two separate lengths of webbing in my pin kit and in my PFD just for different, um, you know, tow lines or anchors. Um, you know, I like to have plenty of non-lock, or non-lockers and locking carabiners. Um, I normally have, I try to have three locking carabiners either in a pin kit or on my person. Um, when it comes to non-locking carabiners, this is one thing that I did not learn until late into my kayaking, um, you know, experience, is when you're getting non-locking carabiners and whitewater, they don't really mix very well. They can get snagged on things. Um, so if you do have non-locking carabiners, I would recommend, you know, keeping those maybe inside of your boat, uh, where they won't get snagged on anything you're wearing, maybe as you're trying to swim, I would probably keep them in a pin kit or in a pocket inside your PFD as far away from anything they can get snagged on as possible. So other things in a pin kit besides anchor building materials and webbing is uh, some pulleys. Now, you don't have to have pulleys. They're just going to increase the effectiveness of your pulley systems. And so I normally try to have two pulleys. Uh, that just makes a really, really clean three-to-one system. Uh, and it also just, yeah, just makes the whole system a lot smoother. Um, but yeah, th- those are mainly the three things is the anchor building materials, the, um, you know, the locking carabiners, and then the pulleys. That's going to be the basics of a pin kit that's going to give you the best opportunity to unpin a boat in this scenario. And yeah, Seth, I think that we could, we, we could attempt to justify um, not, not carrying all the pieces of a pin kit um, with the effort of or with the thought of maybe that you know the people we boat with oh of course they'd have locking carabiners or of course they would have a prusik or of course they'll have pulleys uh, but Seth we, we never want to find ourselves in a backcountry setting or in a wilderness setting where we're relying on the on the thought or the hope of someone else having a piece of gear um, so Seth that's why I, I try to always carry in my person everything I need for a, a complete pin kit um, due to the fact that maybe you know the guys I'm boating with don't have a, don't have a full pin kit 
Um, or, or if the guy who does have a pin kit, if he's swimming um, or if he's on the other side of the river, um, I still have access to a full pin kit because it's on my person at all times. Yeah, and so to kind of get back to the day, um, we realized that the 3-to-1 system that we had built, uh, while it had a ton of travel, it had a ton of force, we pulled a ton of rope out um, and really tugged a lot on that boat. It still was not enough. Um, it actually kind of <laughs> melted a prussic as it slid. The whole system kind of slid, um, made it real real dangerous, honestly. Um, even though we had set up dampers um, or dampeners that kind of you clip on, say, like a water bottle to your system, your pulley system to a carabiner, that keeps it from maybe whipping around as much if, you know, a system, part of the system were to fail. It just kind of mitigates some of that risk. But... We decided at the end of the day that it would probably be best to come back the next day. Um, we had actually already planned to come up to Rumbling Bald Climbing Area and climb that next day, which for those of you that don't know is about a 10-minute drive from the Rocky Broad. Um, great climbing area. And unfortunately, Seth, that meant another day with no phone, no wallet, <laughs> no keys, and no car for me. Mm-hmm. No school, no nothing. Uh, yeah, so... We brought some uh, friends that day. Um, there anything you want to add to that? Yes. Yeah, so, so, you know, we all went home that night, and we just began to put put our brains together <laughs> and, 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 and asked ourselves, you know, we're, we're using pieces of gear that are very adequate and very capable for a, a, a wilderness or backcountry setting. Fortunately enough, due to the fact that Rocky Broad was so close to the road, um, we didn't have to worry about weight. We didn't have to worry about, you know, um, if we could fit, you know, this piece of gear into our life jacket or into mm-hmm. our boat. Yeah. Uh, so with some thought, Seth, we, we actually, I actually had an old static climbing rope. Uh, so we, I, I took that and actually made a trip to Lowe's and, and purchased a, a come-along winch. For those of you who don't know what a come-along winch is, uh, it's not something that's generally used in, in whitewater ever, actually. <laughs> um, but it's actually a, a mechanical winch uh, that has six feet of travel um, and, you know, weighs probably five or ten pounds. Uh, so I purchased one of those. Yeah, and it's hand-powered as well. <laughs> yeah, so we, we, made the, we made the trip back up to uh, the Rocky Broad, um, hiked the winch in, uh, hiked the, uh, this you know, static rope in. And, and thankfully, Seth, we got there this, this third day, and, and the water was significantly lower than it was the previous day. So immediately we were very encouraged. We were, we were incredibly excited because today was the day we were going to get the boat out. Uh, so, Seth, what was kind of the process of setting up this, this static rope with the come-along? Yeah, so unfortunately, the day before, we actually had to cut the line because we obviously did not want to leave a long rope attached to the boat and it's really hard to get a quick draw or a carabiner off of the boat so we just had to cut the rope as close as we could to the boat so I had to go back around with the um, stick clip and clip another one onto the boat so we could have a new line Um, and then we just quickly attached the static climbing rope and ran a really long um, line all the way over to a very very large tree that we decided was good enough for an anchor um, and what we did was tie two uh, butterfly knots in the rope um, 
and connect our winch to these two parts of the rope. So essentially what we did is tie um, or tighten up the static rope as best we could and then tie or tie the knots and then tighten up the rope. Uh, so we would have as minimum amount of stress as, uh, stretch as we could on the rope as we were tightening down the winch so we could get as much direct translated into pulling the boat out. Um, so yeah, we <laughs> went about this uh, tightening the rope, using a two-to-one, and then attaching the winch and cranking down on that thing. And uh, we got kind of everybody clear out of the way in case everything anything failed and just kind of started cranking down on the winch. Uh, everybody was crowded around watching in anticipation. So I was actually the one cranking on the winch. So there was six feet of travel on this winch. So I, you know, I cranked and cranked and cranked and cranked and, and, and cranked about five and a half feet of, of slack and of tension out of this rope, out of this system. And so I, I stepped away from the, the winch. Um, so to, to kind of paint a, a visual picture for you guys, uh, we have this, this fully, fully weighted and, and fully taut rope. Um, so in, in order to capture that progress, in order to um, then extend uh, that, that winch to take the pressure off of it, to extend it to its full capacity, and then tighten again, uh, we, we thought we would, you know, that will absolutely get the boat out one way or the other. But, but capturing that progress is actually an incredibly difficult task. Uh, so I, I, I let go of the, the winch, you know, about six inches more of travel to go. And, and, and Seth and myself and our other friends were just kind of discussing what is the best way, if possible, to capture this progress with the winch um, in order to, to extend, extend the winch and, and try again. So, Seth, uh, what, what, happened, what happened at that at one point? <laughs> so this is my favorite part of this story. Uh, we're all standing around. We're thinking, um, you know, what can we do? We did see the boat move a little. So the boat is kind of pushing down on the tree at this point, the tree that it is sitting on, and it pulls it down. It's moving a little bit. Um, and then we're just kind of standing around the winch talking. And at this moment, we see the winch kind of jiggle and move a little bit and kind of drop down to the ground. We look, and the boat is starting to come out um, of the sieve. It just, I don't know if... The boat pushed down the log enough, or um, I don't know what happened, but just that force sitting on it long enough um, was able to actually kind of get the boat to push up and out of the um, sieve. Uh, so, Josh, what happened next? Yes, uh, so we, Seth, myself, all of our friends, we all grabbed onto the rope, and we just started pulling as hard as we possibly could. And just slowly, the, the boat just came out of the sieve, uh, we just kept pulling, kept pulling, kept pulling. And before you know it, Seth, uh, we had my boat that had been in the sieve for three days uh, back to shore. Um, so, Seth, I was finally able to get my dry bag back, um, open up my dry bag, and, and, and somehow, uh, thanks to watershed bags, uh, there was just a tiny amount of water in the bag. Uh, but my phone was okay, my wallet was okay, and my keys were in there. Uh, as well, Seth, I had a, I had a beer in there as well, so I had to celebrate. So I shotgunned a beer right there on the on the side of the river, um, and then from there, Seth, um, we continued to climb that day, and we had an awesome day. Yeah, 
very exciting. Um, so real quick, um, after that story, let's kind of take a step back real quick. Josh, tell me, is there anything that you think could have gone better um, kind of during the initial swim phase? Yeah, Seth, so when I immediately rolled over at the, at the, at the beginning, at the, at the beginning of the story, I attempted to roll up on my more dominant side, which was happened to be on the upstream side, um, upstream edge of, of the river. And and said, so I, I have found, and I, I, I would argue that the rolling rolling up on the downstream side edge um, is, is always easier than rolling on the upstream side edge. Um, so while I was more confident and more comfortable on my my dominant side roll Seth I think I would have had I think when I, I, I should have attempted a, a downstream side um, edge roll Seth I think that would I the, the, the water's helping me and, and helping me up um, and, it, and it's it's in our favor it's in my favor at that point Seth um, so yeah what do you, do you think that is a generally um, easier to roll up on the downstream edge um, or the upstream side um, yeah, I think that I've found more success with the downstream side, now, especially when you're in a hole. If you're ever stuck in a hole sideways, you're not going to get up on your upstream side. All that water's pushing down on you. It's just not going to happen. Um, so definitely on the downstream side there. And you're honestly just going to get a little bit of extra boost on the downstream side. Now, obviously, that is subjective depending on the scenario and where you're at on the river. But uh, in general, it's a lot easier on the downstream side. So moving on from there. Um, with maybe the, you know, the rescue of yourself and then the rescue of the boat. What are some things that you learned and what are some things that could have gone better? Yes, uh, so I think there's, there's a couple things regarding the actual swim. And then there's, there's a couple other things that I would like to mention as well. Um, I think the, the first idea um, is when it, it is really only takes one hand to pull your skirt, Seth. Um, and, and in an effort to... Uh, I, I believe out of panic, um, you know, you, I immediately dropped my paddle and, and pulled my skirt and, and attempted to swim. Um, so, Seth, I think looking back at that time, um, I, I think I, I wish I would have you know, held on to my paddle, pulled my skirt, and then either continued to hold on to my paddle or, or even maybe even attempted to throw my paddle to the shore um, immediately after swimming. Um, Seth, because, you know, Unfortunately, you know, paddles are really expensive, um, but, it, but it's also more of a remote setting and more of a, a wilderness setting. Um, you really don't want to have a paddle. Just go missing, Seth. Um, so other than that, Seth, I think there's, you know, one, one big thing I, I learned, um, you know, I always carry a throw bag in my kayak at all times. Um, so I think one thing I learned from that experience was, is even if you find yourself having your throw bag in your boat, um, in an instance like that, I found myself with no throw rope on the side of the river, and, and it was kind of a terrible place to be, Seth. Um, so I, I'm, I really would advocate for, and I, th- I think everyone should carry a, a, a smaller, a shorter um, length throw bag on their person. So Seth, I have an astral green jacket. Um, and in the front pouch, um, there's, there's a great spot to have a, an astral throw bag um, or a salamander, you know, 50-foot throw bag. Um, and I, I think that's just, it's, it's a great practice to, to put into play, Seth, is, is to have a, a shorter, 
maybe weaker rope on your person uh, for, for rescues and a longer, more, more heavy-duty, uh, stronger rope in your boat uh, for, for boat rescues and things like that. Yeah, and I personally carry the astral throw rope in my green jacket, and um, and what he's talking about with the weaker and stronger ropes is more so the nylon ropes are going to be a little weaker. They're going to have not as strong of a tensile strength, maybe not the best for unpinning boats, and then you have your spectrodyneema ropes and you know a lot stronger materials like that. You can do your research, figure out what's going to work for you as far as weight, visibility, how well that rope floats in the water, and uh, things like that, but... Yeah, carrying on to what could have done better in the boat rescue. Um, yes, yeah, so a couple other things. Um, I believe that we, just just a very practical thing. Um, Seth, having my, my phone, my wallet, my keys in, in, in my dry bag was just was just silly. Um, I, I put my phone in there in an effort to uh, maybe have a, you know, in there in case of emergency. Uh, I believe that is a good practice, Seth. Uh, but have my, my car keys and my wallet in there, Seth, there, there's, there's no need for that. Uh, so a great way to get around that um, is to always put your car key um, on your car, hidden in your car somewhere, uh, because no matter, you know, if you get an incident or if someone gets an incident, regardless, the key is always at the car. Um, and Seth, I had my wallet in my dry bag that day, um, you know, just in case we need to purchase something. Um, you know, for any any given thing. But Seth, a great way to avoid that is just to t- put five or ten bucks in your dry bag, leave your wallet, leave your ID, leave your, your credit cards in your car, so you don't have to worry about your car being um, your wallet being lost. Um, and and lastly, Seth, I if I had any other dry bag other than a, a watershed, um, my my stuff all would have been ruined. Um, not only would my my phone would have been ruined, but you know everything else in there would have been ruined. So. Um, definitely, it, it was worth the investment to, to have a watershed bag. Uh, I was literally, literally stuck in a, in a sieve for three days, um, and there, there was almost no water, almost completely dry after three days, Seth. And this is not an ad for watershed by any means. We just really stand by their product, and they've proven themselves time and time again. Um, and real quickly, kind of while we're wrapping things up, I just want to kind of throw a little disclaimer out. Um, you know, Josh and I have been paddling for a few years now, um, we've been to plenty of rivers around the southeast, but we are by no means experts, and we want to make that very clear that this is, you know, two amateur paddlers um, just kind of giving their opinions on things that we've experienced and witnessed over our past couple of years in the whitewater community. Um, and we would love to hear from you people, anybody listening, if you have any, you know, anything to say, um, anything to add, or anything that you want to question us about or anything like that just kind of keep the conversation going or any stories of your own um, any any stories uh, rafting stories any expedition stories uh, we, we would love to hear about them uh, we love to talk about them we love to analyze them um, I, I believe that is where uh, we can learn from our mistakes because Seth as they say hindsight's always 2020 uh, so you want to create a platform from you guys uh, to just continue to analyze um, incidents and accidents that happen in in the whitewater community uh, so we can have these safe practices going forward. Yeah, so uh, thanks again for listening to our story. Uh, before we wrap up, Josh, I want you to tell the folks uh, what happened to your paddle. Uh, so, Seth, uh, that day I, I never thought I'd see my paddle ever again. Uh, it was... 
Unfortunately, it was a Warner powerhouse, and it was really sad to see it go. It was beautiful. Uh, so actually, Seth, uh, about about a month later, uh, I saw someone make made a post on on the Whitewater page, and they said, "Hey, I found a Warner powerhouse today on the Rocky Broad." I said, "Oh, that's mine!" <laughs> uh, so Seth, my my Warner powerhouse was stuck in a sieve for almost one whole month. Uh, got my paddle back, um, and it was it was actually still in pretty good shape. Uh, the only real s- sign of abuse was there was a, a small hole in, in, in the shaft. But other than that, Seth, it was still completely intact. Um, another tip, always put your name, always put your number on all of your gear. Because um, you know, that day I did not have my name on my paddle um, and, and fortunately got it back. But usually that it, uh, doesn't usually work out like that. So always put your name, always put your number on all of your gear. Yeah, and uh, once again, thank you all for listening and we just want to carry on the conversation again, like we said. Uh, you know, throw us feedback. If you liked something we did, if you didn't, uh, just let us know. But otherwise, thanks so much for listening. Awesome. Have a good one, guys.